you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. Well, good morning, Sozo, and welcome to Sozo at Home for another week in the Word. We are back in uh, John's custom account of the life of Jesus, where John unapologetically says that his goal is to get you to entrust your life to Jesus. We're back after a break for Easter, so let's go ahead and and jump in. We're going to be in John chapter 8, verse 12. Um, And just to kind of make sure that we're all kind of remember where we are and remember what's going on, Jesus has just had a series of escalatingly heated exchanges with the uh, cultural and religious leaders of his day. They have sort of sought to silence or at least sidetrack him away from his mission. And so now we get to see how he responds to their efforts to derail him. And so we're going to pick the story up in John chapter 8, verse 12. And as we pick the story up, I'm going to ask everybody to go ahead and stand up. Stand to your feet as we read God's word. Uh, if you're guests sort of streaming in with us, uh, just so you know, we don't stand. We don't, we don't stand to be weird or religious. We stand because we believe that what we're about to read is the living, active, breathing word of God. And so we stand to show honor and respect to it. So let's turn our attentions to John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, it's so short, we might as well read it twice. Here we go. John 8, 12 says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Church, let's go ahead and pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is living, that it is active, that it is powerful, that as we come to your word, we can come with confidence knowing that your heart and your desire is to speak to us. And so God, I ask that you would do just that, that you would speak today, you would breathe life upon the word that we just read, that it would come alive in our hearing, that we would have the capacity, the supernatural ability to receive what it is that you would say. Give us ears to hear, God. Give us the capacity to hear, Lord, that we might hear what you say, but not only that, that we would receive it, that we would not argue with it or reject it, but we would allow it, Lord, to go deep within the fibers of our being, that it would travel deep within us and it would alter as it goes. It would alter the way that we think. It would alter the way that we perceive, that it would alter uh, the very core of who we are, that it would bear fruit within us. Lord, that we would be doers and not only hearers of your word, that we would be transformed by it, thus glorifying you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and high five everybody around you. High five some people, tell them you love them, and then grab a seat as we jump into the word today. Uh, This morning, I want to talk to you under the title, An Identity of Divinity, An Identity of Divinity. It's it's intriguing to me the way Jesus responds here. 
after all their distractions and arguing and the sideshow that they try to put on, Jesus returns to his divine assignment to present the king and proclaim the kingdom. He proves that he will not, for he cannot be taken off his divine assignment, his mission given to him by the Father. The truth is that despite their arguing and their agenda, this system of corrupt leaders has not changed his goal. All of their, all of their, their posturing and their protesting, all their efforts to discourage him and distract him and to discredit him, all of them are for not because here he is again teaching a crowd. Here he is again returning to his office as teacher and preacher to the people. So then the, the question that I want to ask the text is, what, what is it that he's preaching? What is it that he is proclaiming? I believe what he's teaching them, what he's proclaiming is that his identity is divinity. His identity is divinity. This is the most important thing. So, so after all of it, after all of the, the debating, after all of the, the discussions, after all of the things that they've thrown at him, he wants to get the crowd back to the important thing. With all of the nonsense and noise going on around, he wants to make sure they understand exactly who he is. He is the, the, the God that they've been crying out to. He is the one they've been crying out for. This is one of seven I am statements that he makes. He, he declares himself, he says, I am the light of the world. With all the darkness in the world, Jesus stands up and says, I am the light. It's one of seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the gospel of John. We saw the first one in John chapter 6 verse 35, where he said he was the bread of life. Here he, he reveals himself to be the light of the world. What we need to understand is all of these seven statements are designed to point us to Jesus as God. And so this statement is him declaring that he is in fact God. He is the light of of the world. His identity is divinity. He's calling himself the source of light because we remember that, that John has used this, this verbiage of light consistently throughout his gospel. This is the, the verbiage that he's used. It's a familiar phrase to his readers. He uses this idea of light to describe not only the illuminating factor of light, but the life-giving factor of light. In John chapter 1, verse 4, he says that the life that's in Jesus was the light of man. So Jesus' identity being divinity is this idea of him being the source of all life and the source of all light. He's also pulling from Old Testament verbiage used for the Messiah. We see this in Isaiah 42, verse 6, in Isaiah 49, verse 6, where the Messiah is said to be the light that would come into the world. Jesus proclaims himself as the one and only dispeller of darkness. But does this mean then, this phrase, Jesus is the light of the world, does that mean that Jesus is some sort of universal savior to all people everywhere, regardless of, of their own response or reactions? Well, the, the simple answer is no. Him saying that he's the light of the world doesn't mean that his light goes to the world all in the same way. That would be, that would be 
out of alignment with the rest of the text. Rather, what he means by this idea of saying that he's the light of the world is that his, his exclusive light is inclusive for all. Let me unpack that a little better. What we mean is this, that he is the only one, but he is for everyone. That Jesus is the light, singular. He's the only source of light. He's the only source of life in all of existence. But that that light and that life is available to the world. It's available to everyone. This is a theme throughout John's gospel that Jesus is for everyone, that he is available to everyone. He's the only source of light to all of the world. He's exclusively available to everyone. Let me put it that way. He's exclusively available to everyone. Jesus is the light of the world, and this offer of light is made to everyone, not just Israel, not just the in crowd, not just the ones that are are, are supposedly the chosen ones. But rather, Jesus comes and disrupts this system and says that, no, I've come that the world might see my light. And this this is an amazing factor. He, He goes on, he says that he's the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. This means that his identity, catch this please, his identity calls for my loyalty. His identity calls for my loyalty. He's extending, he's extending the rabbi invitation to everyone. He's extending this, no matter your age, no matter your gender, come on, no matter your your race or your religion, your creed, your background, no matter your past, your present, or your supposed future, Jesus offers to you the ability to come and follow him. Jesus offers you a place at his side. This word follow in the Greek here literally means to go after and to obey, we talked about this very early on in John's gospel. So just as a, as a reminder, this, this phrase, follow me, was the way that rabbis in that day, that the teachers, the instructors, the life coaches of that day, who really were the somewhat like celebrities in that day, this is the way they would call their disciples. They would walk up to, specifically in this culture, a young man and say, follow me. And that was an invitation to be with them all the time so that you could learn to be like them. To be with them so that you could be like them. This was the call of the rabbi to a disciple. And Jesus here is literally openly making that invitation to all those who hear him. This was a radical turn from the, from the hand-picked Best of the best, only the the best and brightest would be called to follow a rabbi. And Jesus here says, no, regardless of who you are, regardless of your background, regardless of what you might think or what others might have said about you, you are invited to be at his side, to be with him so that you can learn to be like him. I'm I'm just fascinated by this idea of following. I love the way A.W. Pink put it in his commentary on the Gospel of John. Here's what he said. What is it to follow Christ? It is to commit ourselves to him as our only Lord and Savior in doctrine and conduct. To commit ourselves to him as our only Lord and Savior in doctrine and in conduct. Doctrine and conduct, what he means by that is in the way that we think and process the things we hold to be true and of value and in the way that we live our life, in our behavior, in our lifestyle. To follow Jesus, come on, is to give ourselves to him. 
It's to be with him so that we can be like him. To know the blessing of the light that we see in Jesus means that we look to him exclusively for our source of instruction, salvation, and exaltation. We look to him exclusively. So this idea of him being the light of the world doesn't just mean that everyone benefits from that light equally. No, his identity calls for my loyalty. I am to follow him if I want to know the benefits of this light. But the good news is the story doesn't even stop there. His identity calls for my loyalty, but also his identity causes my liberty. It causes my liberty. Following Jesus as light frees me, come on, from the power and the presence of darkness. Following Jesus as my light, giving myself exclusively to him, frees me completely from both the power and the presence of darkness because Jesus transforms the way I walk. Following Jesus transforms the way I walk. Giving myself to him, being, being obedient to him, going after him transforms my lifestyle. The word walk literally is just a, a, a picture for our lifestyle, for the way we live our lives day in and day out. Not just in this moment as we gather together as a church, but, but in every other moment of our lives. That's the walk that we live. And Jesus says that, that if we walk, if we follow him, we will not walk in darkness now, darkness is, a, is a, an allegory, a picture here in a sense. Darkness here is the idea of an evil realm. It's a picture, a symbol of the demonic influence of the world. And, and I need to say this right now so that we understand this super clear. Darkness is irrelevant when we follow the light. Darkness is irrelevant when we follow light. Darkness, if you understand it, yes, the picture here is that it's, it is the realm of evil. But when we understand the, the physical properties of darkness and light, we actually understand something quite interesting. And that is that darkness is not a thing. Darkness is simply the lack of light. It is nothing. Darkness is nothing. Darkness cannot fight or overcome light. In fact, darkness flees at the very speed of light when light enters a room. When light steps in, darkness, come on, fails and falls and is defeated. It cannot withstand because it flees at the very sight of light. So when Jesus says, if you follow me, you won't walk in darkness, this is not some sort of battle that has to be won. This is simply a statement of fact. We need not fear darkness if we give ourselves to light. So then the question I have is, why, why doesn't everyone walk in light then? If this is such an easy exchange to, a, to, to follow light means to expel darkness, to, means to no longer be under the influence of darkness. Well, the reason for it is there's another meaning to the word darkness. It doesn't just mean an evil that's outside of us. It's also a, a, a pulling that's within us. See, the word darkness means an evil realm, but it also implies a hiding. And this is the rub for us. Darkness means to hide. See, we can't follow him and hide from him at the same time. 
To follow him is to walk in light. That is to allow him into every area of our being, to expose every part of our life, every part of our heart, all of our shame, all of our struggles, all of our shortcomings, all of those areas that we don't want his input in. It means to expose all of those, catch this, to his goodness and to his grace. Because that's the only hope we have for freedom and transformation in those areas. So we, we, we are in this journey. The more I open up to him, the more his light floods in and the more freedom I experience. Again, it's not, it's not an achieving of freedom. I need you to understand that. It's not an achieving of freedom. This is why we say at Sozo so often, it's not about trying harder. It's about trusting more. See, the idea here is that the more I open up my heart and life to him, the more I trust him with the hidden areas of my life, the shame and the struggles that I have, the more freedom floods into my life. I'm here to tell you, at the same speed you will open up your heart to him is the speed at which freedom will come into your life. I don't care how long you've struggled with something, how long it's had a hold on you, how long you've been addicted to it, how long it's been a habit you couldn't break. The moment you open that area up to him, freedom floods in at the speed of light. His identity causes my conformity. So not only does his identity cause my liberty in setting me free, but his identity causes my conformity in fundamentally changing me from one whose lifestyle was marked by hiding, one who was overcome by the powers of darkness, the influence of an evil realm, one, two, one who experiences, wears, possesses, brings about, and eventually even is a light everywhere I go. So I'm transformed. I'm, I'm conformed into his image. This is a process of unfolding from experiencing his light to wearing his light to possessing his light to, to, to bringing about and even being that kind of light. And we're going to dive into that reality more next week. But I need us to understand that, that this, this process, he says, we, if we follow him, we will walk in, we won't walk in darkness, but then he says we will have the light of life. So there's a, a negative in what it, it pulls away from us in our captivity, but then there's a positive in what it brings into our life. This, uh, this idea of the light of life is an interesting concept. It's actually Jesus quoting, once again, the Old Testament. He's quoting Psalm 56, verse 13. Let me, let me read this to us. Psalm 56, verse 13. Here's what it says. For you have delivered my soul from death, Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. So there's this idea tied to this, this phrase, light of life is to be delivered. It's, it's one who's been delivered from death, and that's what we've been. We've been delivered from death into the light of life. I am fully delivered into the light of Jesus until I actually become like him. This is the promise of the fulfillment of our rabbi's calling to follow after him. And this is why I said the, the, a few weeks ago that really truthfully to describe the Christian life as simply a rabbi-disciple relationship is not really understanding the fullness of it. 
Because Jesus promises to fulfill and finish the work within us. He who was faithful to begin the work in us is also faithful to bring it to completion. He's saying, I will make you a light. He is the light, amen? He's the light, but we are called to be lights, to be like him and to be lights. So let me try to summarize all this as clearly as I can, and I'll throw this on the screen so that you can, you can screenshot it or write it down if you're really good at writing fast. Here, let me just summarize all of this. Here's what we mean. As the exclusive light available to everyone, Jesus calls all people to commit themselves entirely to him Thus, in giving ourselves fully to him, we stop hiding in darkness and the realm of evil loses its grip on us so that we are no longer overcome by its influence on our way of life. From this place of freedom, we become agents of a light that delivers everyone from the power of death. I'm gonna read all of that again. As the exclusive light available to everyone, Jesus calls all people to commit themselves entirely to him. In giving ourselves fully to him, we stop hiding in darkness and the realm of evil loses its grip on us so that we are no longer overcome by its influence on our way of life. From this place of freedom, we become agents of a light that delivers everyone from the power of death. Beloved, this is the good news, the gospel of Jesus being the light of the world. This is the reality, and this is what we extend to you today, to hear the good news that Jesus is the light of the world. He has come. He is here. And because of that, we can follow after him. We don't have to worry or fear darkness. We don't have to hide from him. I don't know who I'm talking to, but, but I really feel like there are some people listening right now that need to know you have no reason to hide from him. He is light. He is filled with goodness. Understand that if he is light, that means there is no shadow in him. There's, no, there's nothing in him that's hidden. There's no ulterior motives or, or, or some other sort of agenda at play in the heart of Christ. He wants to bring you freedom from the darkness that has bound you, that has held you, that has pulled you down. All the shame and all the sorrow and all the sin in your life, he wants to bring liberty to that. And that happens as you open up your heart to him. Those areas of shame, those areas of hiding, those areas of, of, of things that you think if he knew, if he was let in, he wouldn't love you anymore. He wouldn't, he wouldn't allow you to be with him anymore. He says if you open those things up, light will flood in and darkness will flee. So open up your heart and open up your life to him today. If you're hearing me and you've never done that before, you, you don't know the light that comes in Christ, let me explain this very simply to you today. He has come. In his coming, he has revealed to us the true nature of God. You might have thought God was some uh, you know, guy with a long white beard floating on clouds above with lightning bolts just waiting for you to mess up so he could punish you. Jesus comes and perfectly shows us what God is like and he comes and he says he didn't come for the well, but he comes for the sick. He comes for those who are desperately in need of him. 
And so as he comes to us, he reveals to us a God who loves us and cares about us, who created us for his own pleasure and for his own good, for intimate relationship with him. He he reveals to us a God who made all things good. But you see, our very first parents, the Bible calls them Adam and Eve, man and woman, what they did was they rebelled against God. They rejected his goodness and they said they can decide for themselves what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. And the the truth is all of us have followed in that same path. We've all followed after our first parents. We think that we can decide for ourselves what's good and bad. I don't need anybody to tell me how to live my life. I don't need anybody to tell me what's good and what's evil. But Jesus comes and he says, I will show you. I will show you what's right and what's wrong. I will will lead you. I will guide you. Come and follow me. Come look to me for doctrine and and for, for, for lifestyle, for the way you think and the way that you act. Follow after me. And so what the scriptures call us to is to repent and believe. Those are two Bible words. What they mean is this, that, that word repentance just simply means to admit and abandon. It means to let go of all that. Admit that, you know what? I have been wanting to do things my own way. I have been wanting to just to, to go my own way and do it my own way and, and be my own boss. It means to admit that that hasn't worked out very well. The reality is this, friend, that that. No one has disappointed you more than you. No one has hurt you more than you. We fail ourselves so consistently and so fully, and repentance is simply admitting that and then abandoning it, letting go of it, not making excuses, not making arguments. It's simply admitting and abandoning that sin in our life. And to believe simply means to entrust our lives to Jesus. It doesn't just mean that we agree that he existed or, or believe in him like, like kids might believe in, in, in fairy tales. No, it means to, to believe means to entrust our life to him, to look to him as the sole source of light and life, to find all we need in him. And if you're hearing me today, I wanna ask you, have you repented and believed Have you repented of your sin and believe on Jesus? Have you entrusted your life to him? Because he is the only light. There's no other way. There's no other hope. There's no other life. But he comes and he makes himself available. I don't care what your past looks like. I don't care what failures you've had. I don't care what you might think has disqualified you. Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection qualifies you more than anything you could do can disqualify you. And so he comes to you today with the open offer to follow after him, to stand by his side and follow him until you become like him. For those of us who who do know, who would say, no, I've, I've repented and I've believed and I'm following after Jesus, I just want to encourage us as we move into our response, as we move into some time of, of contemplation and celebration together, I want to ask you to really take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit if there are areas of your life where you are hiding from him. Maybe you think, like I thought for so many years, that, 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 yeah, he saved me and he said I could follow him, but now it's my job to fix all the broken areas of my life. And I better do it quick because he's not going to give me much time and he's not going to really use me until I fix all these problems. Listen, beloved, if, if, if the qualification to be used by God was to have all of your problems fixed, no one would ever be used by God. 
In fact, it's his using us often that he exposes the areas in our lives that need to be fixed. And that's how he begins to work that transformation in us. But today, I really feel strongly that there are some people who need to open up areas of their life to him. The picture that I keep seeing is like a house and there are doors in that house, rooms and doors. And, and you've got some rooms that you've locked off to him that you won't let him in. You're afraid of what he would say if he walked into those rooms, different compartments of your life. Maybe it's a relationship in your life. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your emotions. Maybe it's the way you respond to people. Maybe it's the way you spend your time. Maybe it's where you find entertainment or maybe it's an addiction or a habit in your life. And what he wants you to know is his goodness and his grace are the only hope for you to find freedom from those things. And he offers it to you freely. Freedom wasn't free for, for him to purchase, but it is free freely offered to you. And so today I want to encourage you as we step into this moment to begin to open up your heart and open up your life to him and allow that light to flood in. And then here's the real, here's the real step I want to encourage you to. I want to encourage you that, that as you open up your heart to him, that you find a trusted, safe friend in the Lord, a believer, a fellow child of God, and begin to open up that area of your life to them as well and ask them to pray and ask them to, 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 to ask the Holy Spirit to flood light into that area of your life. If you would be so bold, I would even encourage you to message us and let us know how we can be praying in those specific areas and believing for light and freedom to flood in. Our staff gathers together and confidentially prays over all of the prayer requests that we get in. Right now, we're sort of meeting both physically and digitally so that we do all the, the space stuff, but, but we are gathering still and praying over those prayer requests and, and believing God to move mightily. And here's the, the cool thing. We are seeing God move in response to prayer because when, when God's people pray, come on, God responds. That's what his word says. So if you've got a prayer request, I would encourage you to send that in. Let us pray for it. If you've got an area of your life where you need some light to flood in, I'd encourage you to, to, to let us know so we can be standing and praying with you. And the last thing before I, before I pray and we move to our response, I, I really felt as I was preparing today for, 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 for this moment to, to preach to you, I, I just, something just jumped out at me. I, I mentioned earlier that, that because even with all of the, the agenda going on and, the, and all of the arguing going on from the, the rulers of the day, it didn't change anything for Jesus. Their, their attempts to try to derail him and discourage him and discredit him, they ultimately came to naught. It didn't change anything. Jesus still pursued his mission. And I felt like the Holy Spirit says this, and I, I think somebody needs to hear this. COVID-19 changes nothing. It doesn't change anything. I know it might feel right now like everything in our life is different. You're even going to church different. We're, we're going to church at our homes, which isn't even a thing, by the way. You can't go to church at home. You can watch church at home and you could be together with other people at your home, but, but come on, it's just weird. It seems like it's changing. Maybe you're not working. Maybe you're working more. Maybe your, your time is, is more stressed than it was before. Probably if you've got kids, you're learning how to homeschool kids. That's a new one. It might feel like everything's changed, but in the most true sense, hear me please, this changes nothing because Jesus, come on, is still king and he is still God. 
He is still on the throne. He is still sovereign. He is still ruling and reigning. And he is still calling his people to be light in the world. And so really, ultimately, when you get to the big stuff in life, it doesn't change anything. If you've repented and believed the gospel, you are still a son of God. If you are, if you are still his, you are his bride. Come on. He is still God and you are still his. You are still loved by him. And so you might feel discouraged and you might feel worn out, but I want to tell you, lift up your eyes because nothing ultimately has changed. The incumbent, come on, is still on the throne. Jesus is still ruling and reigning. His purpose has not changed. Nothing has, has altered in his plan for his creation. And here's the good news. It's a good plan because the Bible tells us very clearly that he works all things together for the good of those who are called and love him. And so today, before I pray, I just want to encourage you, come on, to keep your eyes on him. He is the light of the world. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I thank you today. I thank you for your goodness toward us. I thank you that, that even though we are not gathered together as the church, we are still the church spread out throughout all this city. And so I ask right now that you, you would just be in every place the same way. God, that you would make your presence known, that you would teach us how to worship and engage in the secret place in this moment. God, you have a purpose in the midst of all this. You have a powerful purpose in the midst of this season for each and every person hearing my voice right now. And I pray that they would not miss that purpose. For some, it's to bring them to a place of repentance. And I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would grant repentance that you would impart faith to believe, faith to entrust their lives to you, Jesus. For some, it's to teach how to have a private, personal, intimate relationship with you. God, I thank you that you're breaking off the addiction of, of church services, the idol of gathering together from all of your people and teaching us to have an abiding relationship with you. Lord, I ask that you would bring this thing to an end and you would bring us back together sooner than any of us even are, are daring to dream or imagine. But Lord, I ask that you not do it one moment sooner than it takes to bring all of your people to the place that you have for them in this time. God, would you move mightily in this season? Would you pour light into lives right now by your power and through your grace and for your glory in Jesus' name? Church, Let's respond to the Lord.